This is, this is an article from the latest uh, issue of The Atlantic. From Silicon Valley boardrooms to rural communes to academic philosophy departments, a seemingly inconceivable idea is being seriously discussed, that the end of humanity's reign on Earth is imminent and that we should welcome it. And the article goes on to talk about these two disparate tribes of, of people who believe that we should welcome the end of humanity on Earth. Uh, one is this group called the Anthropocene Anti-Humanists, and they're inspired by the revulsion at humanity's destruction of the natural environment. And they would say that our self-destruction is a just sentence that we've passed on ourselves for how we've treated the Earth. Uh, the other group is, uh, that's talked about in the article is what's called transhumanism. Uh, they are a group that glorifies progress or the supremacy of reason. And they believe that the only way forward for humanity that we've kind of topped out is to create new forms of intelligent life or AI. And that one day uh, AI will demote humanity to the rank that we currently assign to animals or maybe wipe us out completely. And that that would be good because there's a greater intelligence that's moving forward. Uh, that's not us. There is a philosopher that's quoted in this article named David Benatar, who is an anti-natalist, which is um, anti-procreation, which if you try to take kids to restaurants in 12 South, you'll meet a lot of anti-natalists. Um, and he says this in the article, things will someday be the way they should be. There will be no people. And then the, the, the author of the article says, profound civilizational changes begin with a revolution in how people think about themselves and their destiny. The revolt against humanity has the potential to be such a beginning with unpredictable consequences for politics, economics, technology, and culture. And so as crazy as this sounds, like if you're hearing this and you're like, that's, that's absolutely crazy that people are cheering on the end of humanity on earth and maybe seeing that as, as appropriate or legitimate. I wanna remind us that this is a, just another equally legitimate way to see the world. If there is no God who created and sustains everything and communicates with us of how to live. And so, so what are these people seeing, these two groups seeing? They're seeing something that is reflecting the image of God in them. Uh, the anti-humanists see this natural environment that we have and that we've been given and that it is sacred. And that the way that we are treating it is wrong because it's precious. The transhumanists see a universal wisdom or a universal mind that is governing this reason, this ultimate wisdom that is governing the world and we are living out of step with it and that that's wrong. But they, they come to a very different conclusion than we would come to as people who uh, are Christians. So what conclusions do we come to? How do we think about humanity and what we're here for? And really ultimately, how are we to live? What, what is humanity? And, and how do we live as humans in this world? What does it mean to be human in this world? 
And so for us, we go to scripture, the word of God, this, this supreme, all wise, personal, creative being who created this glorious environment, this cosmos that we find ourselves in and every single one of us, and we ask him, uh, and, and that's what we're doing. Jess alluded to this. We're in this series, uh, the first 12 chapters of Genesis, the origins of all things, the origins of time and space and matter and the universe and people, humanity, creation, uh, what is, what is sex, what is death, what is life, what is good, what is evil, what is justice, all these questions are, are answered in these first 12 chapters of scripture. And so um, today we go, I'm gonna ask Piper to come up and read the passage for us. And as she's coming up here, um, we are in Genesis, the end of chapter one, uh, verses 26 through 31. And we see, we're going back to the origin of man. Who, who is man? What is mankind? What is it to be human? And, um, and answer those questions. Genesis 1, 26 through 31. And then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image in the image of God he created them. Male and female he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Piper. Father, you are our creator, you are our sustainer. You created everything that we see, everything that we don't see. Everything that exists is, is something that you dreamt up. You are good, you do good. And we come into your presence this morning living in a world that is full of your image, that is full of your, your fingerprints, of your beauty, your design, your goodness but also marred and, and bent and broken and disordered. And so, Lord, we, we come asking you to help us make sense of what we experience day in and day out. The confusion of the good and the beautiful mixed with the um, awful and terrible. And Father, we, we come to you because you are the only one with the answers. And we come to you because you are faithful and you make promises to us and you say that uh, if we will come to you, we will find life and we will find everything that we need. And so that's what we're doing now. So Lord, please be faithful. Thank you for keeping your promises to us. 
and uh, speak to us through your Holy Spirit and tell us exactly what you want us to know and speak to every single one of our hearts in the ways that we need to be spoken to you, spoken to by you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So what, what is humanity? This is, we start with the fact that we are a dream of God. We, we see, as we've gone through the rest of chapter one, we see God is saying, be light, be land, be sea, be animals. And here in this passage, for the first time, we get this, use a big word, like inter-Trinitarian council. We believe in a triune God who is one God, three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And we get this glimpse, this rare glimpse into the mind of God, this this discussion between the three persons of the Trinity. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. So we start with, with who is God? He is triune. Why does that matter? Because there would be no such thing as unity and diversity if God were not three in one. And, and that's, very, that's a very important thing to have unity and diversity because that is what makes love possible. That's what makes relationships possible. That's what makes communication possible is that we are distinct persons, but we are able to relate. We are able to be connected. And none of that would be possible if that is not who the God of the universe first is. And so within the Trinity, he is eternally loving and being eternally loved, eternally in relationship, in community, communicating, thinking, experiencing joy and intimate relationship, laughter. And this conversation between the persons of the Trinity is like the conversation of a, a couple deciding to have a baby. Let's have a baby. Let's take all of this joy, all of this love, all of this fellowship, all of this relationship that we experience, and let's create more life to experience that with us, to spill over that love and that relationship and that joy and what it is to really be alive into these creatures that we will create. In Genesis 5.3, we have the exact same language for Adam's son Seth being born. It says that Seth was made in Adam's image and likeness. It's this idea that, that we are made sons and daughters of God, the creator of all things. It puts to rest this notion that we are just another interchangeable species of animal. That is, that is not reality. The reality is that God made all of the created order, all of the world, all organisms, and then intentionally, specifically set aside this sacred, this holy creation of humanity. It is not said about any other organism, any other creature that was made, that they were made in God's image, like mankind is made in God's image. And so verse 27, if you look at that in your Bibles, the reason it's bracketed out like that is because this is poetry. It's this beautiful creation. It's, uh, somebody said, poetry is that which takes us to the boundary between the expressible and the inexpressible. And here we find ourselves at that kind of place where the God of the universe has decided in love to create image bearers in creating humanity. So God created man in his own image, and the image of God created him, male and female, he created them. 
Man is not a cosmic accident. Man is not the result of continued evolution. Man is an act, a decisive, creative, loving act. We are made in God's image and we are uniquely made in God's image. And male and female together is what makes God's image complete, completely reflected. Man and woman are not interchangeable. Man and woman both bear the image of God individually, but also together. And there's a fullness of the image of God when man and woman dwell together in harmony in all kinds of relationships, not just marriage, but in working together and being in community together. This is the image of God as male and female. And so we are born out of love. What is it to be human first before it's anything that we do? It's what it is to be. It's that we are loved. We exist just like the Trinity now. We exist in love, ever being loved, ever loving, ever in relationship, ever communicating, ever fellowshipping. That is what it is to be human, experiencing joy, experiencing peace, experiencing love, thinking, having creativity, just being in the image of God, these are the things that our creator God, our creator father is. And these are the things that we are because he has made us in his image. And because we're made in his image, every single human is of infinite value. This is who we are. And then he also tells us what we are to do, how we are to live. But what we are do what we are to do is born out of who we are. It is, it is inseparable. You cannot have the second without the first. We are blessed. We are loved. We are made in God's image. And now he tells us we are to do something. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over all creation. So first, being fruitful, multiply, fill. It means have babies, it means procreate. Here in Genesis 1, there is no sin. So when, when a, a child is born, that is another image bearer of God who is in perfect relationship with their creator father and in perfect relationship with those who are in their community, other, other image bearers of God. And, and we talked last week about how in these cultures, the ancient Near East, the, as Moses is writing this down for the people who have just come out of generations of slavery, all of the cultures surrounding them, the kings, and for the kings and for the deities of these cultures, they would have these images set up all over their land. These stone statues of different sizes, these 3D images representing the deity or the king to tell everyone this is who is in charge. You may not see them completely right now if the king's throne room is in some other city of this land, but you work in this city over here. Make no mistake, do not forget that you work under this authority that's represented here by this 3D image. And that's what God's doing in the world through us is he's telling these people, no, 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 it's, it's not you being ultimately under the authority of any man. It's that all of mankind is under the loving, creative, good, wise authority of me. And you are not a statue. You are not these, these just 
mute, dumb, concrete statues that are just put up everywhere. You are living, breathing images of me. And as you go out into the world and live as I call you to live in relationship with me, in relationship with each other, as you do the work that I've given you to do, you are a testimony to the watching world of this God who maybe we aren't always able to see that we are under his authority and his authority is good. So to be fruitful, multiply, and fill is, is to, to make this world full of the image of God. And then he calls us to something else, to subdue and to have dominion, to fill the earth, to subdue it, and to have dominion over all of creation, over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. And when I say the word dominion, if you have a negative connotation right now in your mind, that is a result of the fall. Because that is, that is not necessarily a, a negative term at all. And it certainly is not a negative term here. To have dominion, to exercise dominion over something or someone is to bring that something or someone under your authority. And as people who are God's image bearers, he is the king, he is the creator, he is the Lord. We are exercising any authority that we have under his authority. We are people under authority exercising authority. And so when we exercise authority to bring people under our authority, it's really we are vessels, we are conduits to bring people under God's good authority, to bring his order, to bring his beauty, to bring his creativity, to bring his flourishing. That's what he's called us to do. That's not all that we experience right now, and we'll get to that in a second. But what is it to subdue and have dominion in this original sense before sin enters the world? In Genesis 1, what is this that it is to be human and to do this work that God gives all image bearers. It's to bring everything into order under the loving authority and wisdom of God. So we, first we can look back at him and say, how is he doing this? He's exercising dominion over all creation. We see that throughout chapter one. So let's go back and look at all of chapter one and see what do we just know about this God already from this one chapter of scripture? We know that he creates everything in love and in good order, and in wisdom, and in beauty, and in variety. And there's a joy in his creating, and he sustains everything. He gives life, and he keeps it alive. He gives everything, everything that they need to flourish. This is what it is to bring everything under God's dominion, because that's how he exercises dominion. And if I could just summarize, maybe in one word, what is it to exercise dominion in this world? over people, over creation, it's this. It's to attend to. It's to pay attention and then attend to. And to attend to for the sake of, of care and of love and of flourishing. I wanna pay attention to the work that's been given me to do. And I wanna do it well with love for the flourishing of everyone that this affects. I want to attend to, I want to pay attention to the people in my life and attend to them in love and using my strength and my abilities to love and care for them and to bring flourishing into their lives. Dominion requires God's love, attention, power, and creativity exercised through us. 
And we see as this passage goes on, God provided for us and, and all of the animals, all the creatures to give us everything we need. Uh, back here before the fall, it appears that everyone is eating plants because it's hard to flourish when people are worried about creatures eating each other. And so we have this peace. Now, I mean, we also know in Acts that now it's okay to eat all things, so don't worry about it. We can still eat what we want to eat now. But, um, but here we have this peace because there was no animosity between the species, between the creatures, or between any of the creatures and man. So God is giving everything necessary for us to partner with him in his work in the world to bring peace and to bring flourishing. And then we have this beautiful, this last verse, verse 31 of this chapter. God saw everything that he made and behold. Anytime you see behold in scripture, it's like, no, no, really stop and pay attention. Behold, it was very good. Everything up to this point has been good. This is very good. This is perfect. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Every part of creation that we've seen God create so far has been good. And the number seven is a number of perfection. And this is the seventh time that we hear good, except this time on the seventh time we hear very good because each of these components in and of themselves are good. But here when we have all of creation working in harmony together and we have mankind, the image bearer of God, to to reign and have dominion over creation and bring flourishing and continue to create and continue to sustain all of creation and all of that working together in harmony, that is very good. That is perfect. It is beautiful. But that is not the reality that we live in today, is it? So what happened? Ecclesiastes 7.29 is one place in scripture that talks about what happened, and it says this, God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. So make no mistake that the, the air, when we look around the world today and we see all sorts of suffering and all sorts of destruction and all sorts of selfishness and all sorts of harm, that is not anything that we can pin on God. Because God made man upright. God made everything and declared that it was very good. But something has gone wrong in us. And we're going to get to that more directly at a, a later week in this series. But we have sought out many schemes. Instead of listening to and obeying this loving, beautiful God who has created us for good and for flourishing we have gone another direction. We have followed our own way. We have run away from him. We have gone apart from him. And the only thing that that can bring, when he is the God of harmony and unity, the only thing that that can bring when we all go our own way is disorder. And that's where we find ourselves. And it's, it's this disorder in, in all ways, but especially here as we talk about what is man and what is it to be human and what, it, what is it that humanity is here for? It's that now, because we don't look to God for who we are and who our, uh, what is our identity and what is our purpose, now we're left to try to figure that out on our own. And so the result is that our assessment of ourselves, our valuing of ourselves, is entirely too high and too low all at the same time. I mean, it, it's comic, but it's also tragic. It's that 
at the same time, we are a cosmic accident. We are just dust that happen to form together in the right way. And we are here today and we're gone tomorrow. But also at the same time, we are claiming and living like we are gods. And that everybody is here to make my life better and to make me believe this lie that I want to tell myself that I am a God and I should get everything that I want and that the world revolves around me. And I feel both of these things all the time together. And it doesn't make sense. And that's the thing about where we live in this disorder is it doesn't make sense. That within the same day, a, a, a person might be tempted to take their own life and worship themselves based on how their circumstances play out. It is absolute chaos and disorder. Instead of serving God through attending to his creation, now I demand all of creation serves me to make me feel like God. So I will, I will treat this, this beautiful world that God's given us any way I choose, based on any whim that I have. I will treat any person, any image bearer of God, any way I choose to get what I want from them. And if things go poorly, I will think myself worthless. And if things go well, I will think myself worthy of worship. And I will use people and creation in my arrogance. And I will even mistreat myself in my despair. And now as we think about multiplying and being fruitful and we think about subduing and having dominion, now these things that we do because we are made in God's image become ways that we try to find our identity. And now instead of doing these things in submission to God's good will and his good order, now I'm looking to work and sex to tell me who I am and to help me worship myself. I want to get a better job all the time so that I can prop up this lie that I am my own God, that everyone should bow to me because I'm so special and so unique and so rich and so powerful and so successful. I've stopped working to serve the work, now I'm demanding that the work serves me. And sex, sex is, is not this thing that God is using within a marriage to teach me what it is to be in a covenant relationship with him and with another person and to, and to procreate and to bring image bearers and to disciple these image bearers and all the things that he's made sex for. No, now, now sex is a commodity that I get when I want it in any way that I want to get it, through pornography, through um, prostitution, through casual dating. Um, I will treat people in any way that I feel like to get whatever I feel like getting. And as we multiply this disorder, we find ourselves in a place where we're very confused. And so what will God do? Will he go the way of, of those camps of people in the Atlantic article and will he exterminate us? Romans 8 says, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. There is something that is happening in this world. There is pain, there is suffering that we are enduring that even the rocks and trees are enduring, that all of creation is enduring the pain of what humanity is doing and how we are living because something is being born. God is not exterminating humanity. God is set out to redeem humanity. And all that he is allowing, think about this, he made creation. He loves creation more than any of us. 
And he has put it under our dominion, knowing that this was going to happen, knowing that we are going to bring harm and destruction. And he still brought it under our dominion. Why? Because he loves us and he's doing something. He has given us to each other in work relationships, in in dating relationships, in marriage relationships, and we can treat each other terribly, but he still does that because he's doing something in us. He is valuing us, he is loving us, and he is saying, even if we don't understand it, there is something that's happening that is more valuable, that is worth this suffering. And if we shake our heads at that, what else did he give us? Who else did he give us? He sent his beautiful, perfect, beloved son into this world knowing that we would harm and destroy him because he's doing something. All of creation is groaning, waiting in the pains of childbirth. Something new is being born. And it says, for the creation waits with eager longing for what? For the revealing of the sons and daughters of God. That God is not scrapping all of this, but he is redeeming us. We were made in his image and he is remaking us in his image. This one, this Jesus, the son of God, who is the image of the invisible God, who is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, has come into the world to show us how to be human. Think about that. Jesus is the only one that we can see his life and see what it would be like if Adam and Eve had not sinned. Like, this is what it is to be human. This is what it is to exercise dominion and to be fruitful and to subdue, is look at this man's life. This is what it is to be made in the image of God and to perfectly, beautifully reflect the image of God. But in addition to him coming to show us how to be human, he came to make it possible for us to be fully human. It's his work on the cross is what enables this to be possible now. Because in our sin and our our running away from God and rebelling and being our own gods and trying to set up our our own kingdoms, we are now his enemies. We are deserving of his wrath. And Jesus, he has sent Jesus to take our sin, to take the consequences of our sin so that we can be brought near, so that we can have life with him, so that we can be reunited to him, so that we can again bear his image and live in perfect harmony with him and flourishing forever, not just for the rest of our days on this earth, but for all eternity. Colossians 3.10 says this, in Christ we are being renewed in the image of our creator. So now as we still dwell in these bodies of flesh, as I still fight the internal battle to be my own God instead of serving God, to, to love and serve people through my work instead of demanding that the work serves me and that people serve me. In all of this confusion, God is saying, don't worry, something is being born. You are being made new. I have made you new and I am making you new and I will finish what I started. You are being renewed in the image of your creator through the ongoing work of Jesus Christ in your life. So Jesus's whole existence here affirms powerfully in a way that nothing else could, that we are loved. We are loved, that's our being, that's who we are. And then he has restated and given us our creation mandate again 
in Matthew 22 when he says this, what are we to do? We're to be fruitful and multiply and have dominion and subdue. And he says, I'm going to state it in another way. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. This is our calling. It's wherever we are, is to know first that we are deeply loved by God. And then out of that love, we are to love others. And, and that is our one calling. And we have many stations in which to work out that calling. And one of those stations is the job that we get paid to do. But that's only one of those stations. And so for all of us who are either looking for work or who are underemployed or who are doing something that we don't enjoy at all, take heart because your job does not define you. And your job does not keep you from fulfilling your calling, which is to love God with everything that you have and image him in this world, reflect him in all the relationships that you have and all the work that you've been given to do. And even if right now you haven't been given any work to do that you're getting paid for. In all the ways that we are in the world, that is our calling. That is the creation mandate restated by our Lord Jesus is to go and love everyone that comes into our path and to love people and love this world by everything that we put our hands to. So when I'm at my desk, when I'm working at my job, I'm not just looking at what, what is going to maximize my profit. I'm asking what is good for this community? What is good for this industry? What is good for this world? And that's one of the things we're going to talk about on Thursday night. So I, I, I would love for you to come and be a part of that. And I also want to say this, because of where we find ourselves now, um, nothing can stop us from being fruitful and multiplying either. If you are single, if you are celibate, if you are infertile, there are many ways now to bear image bearers of God. Because of where we find ourselves in the story, Jesus did not have any natural born children of his own when he walked this earth. We are all capable of being fruitful and multiplying image bearers of God in this world. That's what discipleship and evangelism are. That's why we value that so deeply here at Midtown West and Lord willing any gospel church that there is, is that this is the mandate we have is in every area of our lives to go have dominion and bring about flourishing and love people and love God with everything that you have and bear fruit, make more image bearers, bring people into what it is to be human and be a vessel for God to work and bring new life in those people. And so if, if we are um, unable to have children and that is a uh, crushing weight in our heart, if we are unable to work the work that we think we were made to work, and that is a crushing weight on our heart, we are to mourn that. We can mourn that, and that's part of mourning what is living in a fallen world. We will find futility in our life. We will find futility in our endeavors. We will find suffering in our life, in our endeavors. We can mourn that, and we should mourn that, and we can also have joy. And we can also fulfill our calling and we can also follow our, our Lord who's still giving us everything that we need to 
partner with him in the work that he is doing to bring new life into every aspect of his created order. And so that's the call, the call for us this morning and what it is to be human is to let, to follow Jesus, to submit to him, let him show us what it is to be human and follow him into this world, him enabling us to fulfill the calling that he's put on our lives to bring new life and to bring flourishing into this world. And so what we're gonna do right now is we're gonna take a few, a few minutes and just have a time of silent reflection where we just sit and engage with our Father, engage with our Savior, engage with the Holy Spirit and what it is to be human and how I'm thinking about these things in my own life. Have I given too much weight to what the world says is what gives me my identity? And to confess that and to ask him to renew my understanding of what it is to be his son or daughter, what it is to partner with him in this world. Whatever it is that he's bringing to your heart, let's just spend some time in silence now.